Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Snelling. We are here for a, a brand new season, accompanied by the wonderful Lords of the Underground. The, uh, the name of the track is, is, uh, is Chief Rocka. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking for something to, to download and listen uh, on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever your, uh, your tunes of choice, I guess, wherever they come from, uh season five episode one we're back beginning of august with me as always from the central plains of indiana matthew j harris matt how are you i'm well uh can't believe we've been doing this five years uh, thank you to everyone who is still here the dozens of you i think i think it's just karen uh she she said that she has listened to every episode so it's it, it's just karen at this point well, at least we know who it is. <laughs> so, um, that's good. Our lo- our loyal listener, uh, singular. Um, but anyway, that that has tuned in and 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 tuned out and tuned back in. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we are kicking off season five, a brand new athletics director. Um, so I was like, I always like to say athletics director. It isn't that like more proper English. It's it is very British. I will say that it is. Uh, I don't know. I'm, you know, athletic director. I, I don't know. I'm not going to get into the grammar thing. I already had to. Do, <laughs> I already had to do three hours of copy editing, <laughs> so I'm already. And the, the person I was copy editing loved to split some infinitives, so I'm. Ooh. I'm already. I'm already sort of overproofing at this point. You go with whatever. You know, pluralize it if you want. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm I like athletics you... director. I just there's something that, like the way it sounds just sounds nice. Athletics director. Well, then um, you'll say director of athletics if you flip it. So if you want to yeah. do that, um, yeah, I, I appreciate um, the search committee, um, the curators, Munchoy, Boosters, everyone just working on our timetable and giving us something to talk about in early August because I know they have us in mind as they make these huge institutional decisions. Thank you guys for for doing that and uh, accommodating us uh, on our recording schedule. Yeah, this is normally a very very quiet period for for basketball in general. You'll you know tend to kind of have a commitment here and there, but for the most part, it's list cutting season. That's what yeah, it, like basketball news is is hard to come by these days. Um, especially like so, I think the summer session itself is over and guys are back. Yeah, they're all back home back home for like you know a, a few weeks before they return uh you know back to columbia and 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 rev back up um you know but yeah so uh moon Choi, the uh what what is he president of the university of missouri system yeah and chancellor um, he he uh he's he, consolidating when cartwright left he yeah he consolidated <laughs> it um, i'm sure he would be ad if it was possible yeah, like I, I know how to do this. Um, 
but he uh and the curators uh, approved of uh a Desiree Reed Francois um which i believe everybody's already abbreviating to DRF um she comes from UNLV and uh by all accounts has a pretty impressive resume uh and uh after serving time with Whit Babcock at uh, Virginia Tech, spent some time in Tennessee, actually hired uh, Konza Martin, which we're going to get into a little bit uh, while she was at Tennessee, uh, Cincinnati. Um, but originally, she's a Californian, and uh, uh, and she was a collegiate athlete, too. So all around, a, uh, I, I think a very intriguing hire. So you and I were kind of chatting before, uh, you know, before we were going on air as as we kind of do sometimes and like there's a lot of people that are going to say that this is a good hire people are probably going to be upset that you know they get some sort of you know uh, kind of title nine kind of hire which is uh you know pardon my french but that's bullshit she's really qualified but the truth is is nobody knows how good of a hire any hire, especially in athletics, how, how good a hire is going to be until you get down the road. So I think at the time we all thought like Jim Sterk was a solid hire. He did a decent enough job. Mac, um, Ro- Mac Rose was the rising athletic director when Missouri hired him. He had, yeah, like that was a, that was a big time get for Mizzou. And we know how that worked. Quinn Snyder was, uh, was a can't miss. Um, rising star young coach this is where i i think i tweeted after it came out i had no thoughts on the hire because you know i i'm admittedly wonky and i will read papers on you know the marginal revenue product of college athletes i will look at eada data and you know at the end of the day you can try and you know metric this to death you can try and look at it from all these perspectives and it's a crapshoot at all of this. And it really comes down to as much as the pe- the people making the hiring as it does the person you hire. You know, I, I think, you know, we always sort of focus on the end product of who gets picked, you know, but there's a committee out there that carries in its own biases, its own preferences, its own wants and aims. And, you know, we're blessed to, you know, have really, really good beat reporters that cover Missouri athletics, but I, there's always going to be kind of that shroud or that veil around, you know, what the process looks like and, you know, what, you know, trade-offs get made. And, you know, that's not, you know, it's not a novel thing to say, but all of that will color this higher. And, you know, we're going to have to wait and see how this works. And I think the hard part about here is, you know, everyone in, you know, nature abhors a vacuum as does a news cycle (laughs) you know you've got to have a a read you've got to have have a take and you know i don't think many of us are one equipped to make that judgment because we don't sit in the room we don't know what the criteria were two none of us are like for as much as you and i try and be informed and try and do background work can truly understand you know what metrics or what you know standards are going to really help gauge quality candidates at the end of the day, like you read these stories, like Missouri talked about a hundred people to like get its criteria together. It had an initial list of 30 candidates. It cut it to eight. And then I think one of the search committee members called Munchoy and said, I've talked to our next athletic director. Like it was a phone conversation that swayed it. Like it was very much like a soft people person skill thing. And that's what I think comes down to here is, there's always going to be an element of mystery and an element of sort of the unknown that comes into play here. Um, and over the first initial news cycle, everyone's going to have like a soft focus on this. So it's, I mean, it, it appears that Missouri ticked a lot of the boxes that it wanted, which I guess is good. It was a pretty judicious search, but off the top, like, I think it's, no one knows how this is going to go. So I, I I would sort of urge caution, which is terrible because we are on a podcast and we have to fill time talking about this woman. <laughs> and we will, um, because there, I mean, there, there's definitely some things to uh, dissect and talk about. Um, I do 
I do like this hire quite a bit. Uh, you know, I think when, um, you know, when, when Dave Matter sort of had tweeted out a sort of a list of potential candidates, she was one that I think kind of stuck out to me. I, you know, I, I understood the, the interest for a lot of people in, in hiring kind of like a sitting power five, um, you know, a- athletics director. But I, I kind of think that is a little overrated. I mean, when you look at, um, and I, I think I pointed this out in, in my, my column that I wrote, when you look at the most exciting hires that Missouri has made in recent years, um, you know, like Eli Drinkwitz is certainly uh, filling that void. He's, he's an exciting hire. He's an out-of-the-box hire. Um, he's a guy that had not a lot of experience um he one year as a head coach and you know Missouri paid him a lot of money uh to to leave App State um with just one one year under his belt as as a head coach and for all the things that you want him to have accomplished like he's accomplished those things it is an outside of the box hire and i think the other hire for me is Larissa Anderson who and I'm gonna forget what school she was at, but Ostra. it was a smaller. She was an Oster. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was smaller East Coast school. Um, you know, so Jim Sturk goes into Hofstra and and plucks Larissa Anderson out of that school. Uh, and she's been terrific. Um, and so like I think when like I don't think a lot of people would have like pinpointed uh the head coach at Hofstra as being, you know, the next great softball coach at Missouri. And yet, uh, you know, the returns and obviously, you know, it's still very early, just like it is with Drinkwitz. The returns are great. Like she's done a really, really phenomenal job of, of building energy and excitement the same way Drinkwitz has. And I think for the most part, um, like that, this is the area where Missouri is going to hopefully have success is by making something uh, that is a little bit more out of the box, uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, daring and, and being a little bit more uh, risky. Um, and I, like, I would say like, even though you and I are, are we're often given shit for, um, for being Kanza Martin apologists, uh, which I don't always think is completely fair, but whatever. Um we're certainly guys that, that like Kansa Martin and, and, you know, I think he's done at worst uh, an adequate job, but when he was hired, there was nothing remotely exciting about it. Um, you know, the, you, you kind of know what you're getting floor wise and kind of hoping that he was able to, to sort of boost up the ceiling. So is like, I don't really think of Conzo Martin as remotely anybody who is an out of the box hire. He's a guy with regional ties. Uh, he was a sitting um, head coach at a, at a power conference school. Uh, there's nothing exciting about that. And, and while the job he's done has been, again, like if we're, we're being completely fair, the, the job he's done has been admirable. Uh, it, it hasn't been exciting. I mean, other than, you know, the first, uh, you know, six months where the recruiting was, you know, leading the cycles and, and, you know, Michael Porter Jr. and all that kind of stuff. But certainly uh, DRF or, or Reed Francois, um, I think, ticks the box of being something um, that is a little bit more out of the box and may, maybe carries uh, just as much reward as it does risk. Her name had floated around, you know, national writers list. I think it was most prominent for UCLA, which made sense given her her connections there as an alum. Um, I'd seen it floated around for like stuff like Boston College. I don't know necessarily so much for Washington State, but they went out and they were sort of lasered in on an Ohio State associate AD there. But her name had been floating around, and it felt like one of those things where it was like, okay, she's got to go somewhere and she's got to get a couple of years under her belt. You know, we we need to make sure that there's some sort of track record before we can buy in. And Missouri, 
you know, made the choice to be the one that was going to go in and give her that first shot. Again, I, everything on her resume would seem to indicate that she's got the broad contours of what you want for the job. I think the there's a question of how much is her skill versus how much is are there intractable structural factors that are going to, you know, that she's going to have to move or work around. And I think, you know, that's what I sort of looked at, you know, at least when I was trying to read through what was said today on a day when there's a lot of long statements, there's a lot of words used, but you, you've got to kind of parse everything. You know, she mentions right off the top, they've already started doing a SWOT analysis, you know, corporate jargon for what are we good at? You know, what are, where do we suck? <laughs> you know, how can we get better? You know, it, it, let's strip away all the B-school jargon there. It's, why are we crappy at this? Why are we good at this? How are we going to be less crappy at the things we're crappy at? And, you know, it's things you and I have talked about. You know, events. Can you get ticket sales up to close some revenue gap? Can you make game day experiences any better? And I think that's particularly applicable to, you know, basketball. You know, I think with what they've done with the South End Zone, football, they've tried to go a long way with the two stadium additions there to make game day experiences better. Basketball's probably going to be the area where that comes into play. You know, NIL, how do we, you know, position Mizzou, a school that, you know, doesn't have necessarily, I think, a ravenous, you know, base of support outside of it. You know, it's a pro sports state. You know, how do you position your athletes in that market to capitalize on their value? And then fundraising, you know, that wasn't mentioned so much, but, you know, I, I think the one thing I look at is Missouri was just coming off its best year ever at $55 million, and that's still going to trail a lot of middle-class schools in the SEC. And realistically, the question is, you know, you've maxed your donor base to build a south end zone facility and now to build an indoor facility. What's your donor pipeline look like? You know, how do you get more people to become TSF donors? How do you move them along the pipeline from just making an annual gift to get their ticket points for parking and, you know, season tickets to making multi-year gifts or making a major gift? Those are going to be her challenges there. And those have been present, you know, for Jim Sturck when Jim got here, when Mac Rhodes showed up. And even as Mike Alden tried to transition this you know, department from the SEC from the Big 12 to the SEC. And, you know, as you and I talk about a lot, the financial aspect, Missouri is still, despite all these gains, tracking at like 12th or 13th. They're with the Mississippi schools. So I think the issue here is not is Reed Fuenswalk, you know, qualified, and not is she a rising star, but, you know, is she going to be able to move around some of those intractable things which have been present for the last you know, two, three, four ADs who've sat in that seat. And, I, you know, we're going to have to wait and see on that. So I think that's, you know, what I was looking for today is, you know, when Munn talks about, you know, challenges and, you know, DRF rephrases them as opportunities, what are those? Well, they've been ones that have existed for a while here. Um, they're not new. They're not, you know, aside from NIL, you know. So I think that's what struck me is, you know, as we go into like this era you know, where it's really important now for Missouri to, you know, find ways to punch up the issues where it's going to have to make some movement have sort of been longstanding. So it'll be interesting what her approach is there and, and can she really get some momentum going in those in those areas? Well, so you, know, you talk about some of the things that, uh, you know, that were said. And one of the things that sort of stood out, I think, to, to both of us, um, you know, sort of post press conference, uh, you know, Dave Manor had kind of tweeted out, uh, you know, a, a quote from uh, from Choi who had basically signaled, um, you know, that that Stirk was actually like fired. It wasn't really like, uh, you know, like, OK, this guy's going to retire, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I'm just going to kind of read what what Matter tweeted, you know, as 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 Choi's quote. Um, so he said, uh, you know, Missouri President Munchoy made it incredibly clear today that Jim Sterk did not leave on his own, as the reporting uh, has signaled the last three weeks. Uh, Choi, quote, I knew the board knew that we needed a different direction. It's that innovation that we need given uh, the changing dynamics. 
The fact that for us to develop into champions, we have to work harder than Alabama. We have to work harder than Florida. Are we going to bring that high level of expectation that starts at the top? That's the reason we made the decision. Uh, and I thought that that was very interesting because one of the things that I think they made very clear uh, about Reed Francois and, and uh, one of the things that stood out about her and one of the things like if you read sort of, you know, Matter's background um, article on uh, stltoday.com uh, that I thought, you know, like obviously it's a little bit, a little bit of a puff piece because he spoke to a lot of people who thought very highly of, of, Desiree and, and the job that she did at UNLV. Um, no one goes on the record to say this person's crappy at their job. <laughs> right. But but one of the things that they they constantly talked about was her work ethic. And one of the things that like I've read in other pieces of you know, people talk about how hard she works and she she is not gonna be outworked. And I think that, you know, if if there's a selling point uh, you know, for Choi and the board of curators. Uh, and and why it seems like this was the right fit for them is they wanted somebody who um, who you know was a a doggedly hard worker and and willing to maybe you know and let's let's face it like you know she's what forty nine yeah and, and that's you know, what I was going to talk about because it's... like Stirk is already like I mean he he was he was very unlikely to have a con- his contract renewed. Uh, most likely because he was going to be 67. Gonna ha- yeah. Like he's look probably looking at hanging it up. Like he's made a lot of money in his life. It's, it's time to move on. So he's at the tail end of his career uh, and, you know, and she's trying to make a name for herself. And I think that, you know, that's why this is like this. That's why this move makes a lot of sense and it's easy to understand. Yeah. I, I think when I went and I read the full context of the quote, I think it's, it's more complimentary to Stirk than I first Thought, which is my my sort of reading between the lines, is Jim did a good job coming in here and stabilizing things when we needed him to. You know, Mac bailed, you know, because we were still feeling, you know, some post 2015 fallout, you know, from player protests. The donor base was clearly not in a good spot if you like looked at just how things were trending university wide. And, you know, you and I have critiqued Jim for hiring decisions and contract decisions, but I think what he has done is he stabilized the department for five years. This there's been someone, you know, maybe not as dynamic, maybe not as visionary, but someone who is competent, who has years of experience, who understands how to work at a institution like Missouri and just get you on sound footing. And, you know, that may sound like, Oh, you know, so Jim was meh, but I think he did a really important job, which is you could not have, you know, Mac, you know, I just think of how bad the optics were when Mac left. You know, Barry Odom going up on the stage at Southeast SEC Media Days, first time he's there to market the program, and every and like the first round of questions are, your AD has left. Like, just left, you know, Odom and left the department and, and just left their ass in a sling. And, you know, Jim, you know, we can critique – his tenure, you did that in a piece, and you and I have done it here. Writ large, though, he stabilized the department, and I think that's a really, really important thing that happened. And I sort of get Munn's thinking, which is, okay, we're two years out on a deal. We probably need to start thinking about are we going to extend or move on? And if Jim comes to you and says, you know, I I feel like I want to extend and you feel like we need to, you know, events are making us have to make a decision about dynamism here, then just tell Jim, you know, Jim, we're grateful for your service, but we feel like we just need a little bit different personality. It's not that we don't think you're competent. We need a different personality type, just a different, you know, maybe skill set or outlook. You know, let's just do this now and let's move efficiently. So I think it makes sense, and I, I think Mizzou's logic makes sense there. It's I, I do think it it is sort of different, though, when you read the quote initially to think, ooh, it looks like Munn kind of backed the bus over Jim. But when I, when I went back and read the full quote, I, I think the context makes sense. Um, we'll see if if Reed Francois is the, the person to sort of, I, I think, elevate or innovate, which is, I think, the, the buzzword that clearly MU's comm staff wanted everyone to talk about today, which was, you know, you know, I'm looking at the next headline on the Post-Dispatch, in business as usual, innovate, whatever. It's 
it seems very clear to me that that's what the what the goal is here. But you know, we'll see how that goes. It's you know, she doesn't start for another week, and you know, there's plenty that she's going to be walking into. But um, basketball wise, we can we can look at you know what she's done there. I think everyone you know has focused on her ties to Conzo, but I I think that's probably going to be if you're looking at the at least the revenue sports, that's probably going to be one of the areas where she's going to, one of the ones she's going to evaluate first is, is what she does in basketball and where that is right now. Um, we could talk about baseball, but we're not a baseball podcast. So uh, circumstances though uh, have helped us though, because basketball is probably going to be something she has to evaluate early on in her tenure here. Well, I do think, you know, there's uh, if you look at, if you look at what she did at UNLV, I mean, she definitely was not shy about, making moves um i mean unlv is very very far from uh, a, a football powerhouse they have a um they have a history in basketball but i mean it's not like recently it's not a great history and and uh you know i think that that uh that's that's a reality that you know rebels fans probably have to live with a little bit um you know so you're you're basically you're you're trying to build back. You're never going to build back uh, UNLV to being the program that it was, um, you know, under Tarkanian. I mean, for one, they were cheating their asses off, um, and and bringing in like a lot of high profile recruits. So what you probably want is is is, and maybe that's why they. Ended up hiring Lon Kruger's son, uh, but but what Kruger did, which was make them a regular contender for the NCAA tournament out of the Mountain West, make them a competitive program, and finishing in the top three or four of the league every year, uh, and they had done that. Um, they had fallen off a little bit after uh, you know Kruger took the Oklahoma job, um, and so certainly I think when you when you look at uh, when you look at her history and the fact that she hired Conzo, I think there's a lot of people are automatically going to say, okay, well, like, like she isn't going to be in Conzo's corner. And I, I, I would pump the brakes on that a little bit because it doesn't matter how you feel about a person if they're not getting the job done and they're one of your uh, two uh, only real revenue streams, like you're very likely going to want to make a move. Um, and I do like, I do agree with her, uh, her comment where she said, it's just like, you know, like Conzo is the kind of guy that I want my son to play for. And, you know, clearly her son is, is walking on at Missouri. Um, but I don't think that absolves, uh, you know, Conzo and, and his program from, uh, a watchful eye from, from, from the AD. And I, I think that very clearly, like if, and this this is I mean if we're going to talk about what we expect and what we hope my my hope is that one of the things that they do is they identify basketball as a a place that requires more investment um and Conzo needs to expand his staff and he needs more uh people associated with the program and more uh, money in the assistant pool, and if these assistants aren't working out, and certainly you and I have have made the case that you know maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if we had some assistant turnover. Uh, then okay, so what's our assistant pool moving forward if we're going to be able to make moves in order to to improve the talent level on the team? Um, you know, and and so my my take is essentially like one of the reasons like why Rick Barnes left Texas is, you know, Texas, the AD came in and said, you need to change up your staff. Uh, They're not getting it done. They're not getting it done. And Rick said, Nope. And they said, all right, you're fired. Um, And that's, that's basically how it went. And I think, I really think that something like that is going to have to happen at Missouri. Like I really like Conzo and I, I, you and I have talked about this. I really think that he is a much better basketball coach than people give him credit for. Uh, I think his teams are always prepared. They always play hard, but there's absolutely 
like no way to paint in any other way. Like the talent level, the last few years just has not been good enough for Missouri to compete. Um, now, how do you improve the talent level? Well, you have to have assistants that are bringing in the kind of talent you need. And ultimately, yes, it's the head coach's job. And ultimately, it may cost Conzo Martin his job. But if if you have assistants who are not getting the players, getting you to the point where you are, are good to go with these players the way some other coaches do, uh, then it's going to make your road to wins a lot harder. And I certainly think that that uh, that Reed Francois's like number one priority uh, at this point has to be getting Missouri's basketball program to the point where it is a at least top half of the uh, of the SEC year in and year out. Um, and 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 I think you and I both agree that that requires investment yeah i think that's you know i want to be very clear because there are going to be some people who will say Conzo already makes three million I, you know what what does he need more i'm not talking about you, you just give Conzo more money no i think his deal is structured in such a way that i think is actually pretty favorable which is you get to an ncaa tournament we basically auto lock you into a three-year extension and i think that's a fair deal like and there are performance-based incentives built into that. Like people talk about like Zoe Swindle Sterk. I think it's it's a pretty balanced deal because the incentive package is pretty reasonable. And if Zoe gets to a tournament, he basically auto-locks, like I said, that three-year extension in. It keeps you from constantly having to you know, negotiate it. You'll get to the end of the contract now, and you know, you can decide if you want to elevate his pay. When we've talked about resources, you mentioned it. It's if we get through year five and say this year isn't a you know a complete catastrophe, but it's not you know quite as good as it should be. Do you do you need to take stock as to, you know do I have the people around me who are going to get me where I need to go? Do I have the staff here that's going to be able to elevate me? And this is my hypothetical scenario. You and I have talked ad nauseum about Aiden Shaw. They still look like they're in position to get him but what if we get to the end of august and shaw announces i'm going to commit to oklahoma state like that's different than what's happened in past cycles where you've lost you know ej liddell to ohio state or you know courtney ramey to texas or caleb love to north carolina you will have lost tamar bates and aiden shaw to indiana and to oklahoma state and aiden shaw to oklahoma state Teams that if Missouri is in a healthy state, you know, should be able to compete for those guys, especially in state. More importantly, if you lose Aiden Shaw at the end of this month, you will have missed out on EJ Liddell in 2019. You will have missed in Caleb Love in 2020. You will have missed on Tamar Bates in 2021. And you will have missed on Aiden Shaw in 22. You will have missed your top target four consecutive years. Like, there's no other way to spin that other than is the staff doing what it needs to do? Like you've had four years to build a program. You've, you know, if you look at when those guys are offered, they're the first guys that are offered. They're prioritized from the jump. Missouri goes to the wire with them and you can't close them like that's, And, you know, you and I, you know, try and focus on, you know, it's the guys who get on campus and how you develop them. That's still accurate. But, the premise of Zoe's hiring too was this was a guy that was going to be able to help us in state, you know, and have a guy here who can, you know, shore up those relationships and help us, you know, keep some talent here. And that <coughs> would not have happened in the upper end of the spectrum. So I think if you get to the end of August and you get through this year and you know results aren't, aren't quite what you want, if you haven't landed Aiden Shaw, if you're having to go into the transfer portal again to try and fight for some guys, you're going to be going into year six going our coach, you know, has not, you know, landed a priority target since his first year on the job. And that was because we had to pay those prospects dads to take a coaching job here. <laughs> right. Like I understand like fans frustration here. And th I think that's my point is to say, you know, if you know, so has done a, okay job navigating around that, finding guys, 
in the portal, you know, trying to develop some guys who are a little bit more lower rated, in, at least in rankings and, you know, by scouts. But at the end of the day, like, you, you, need, you and I have talked about it. You know, we had CJ Moore on to talk about it. We've had other people who follow the SEC on. You got to get some upper end talent. And if you're going into year six, still not able to land priority targets, that's not a issue of kids. That's not an issue of, you know, scouting. It's, are we doing the job? And I think you're going to fast approach that point. And to bring it back to resources, if you have to make changes, are you going to give Zoe the money to go out and hire assistants? Like, don't give, we're not talking about more money for Zoe, we're talking about, will you take assistant pay from like the mid 200s to 350, 400? Some really good guys like Al Pinkins, who is a longtime recruiter in the SEC, who did really good work for Mike White at Florida. That dude makes 450 or 500K a year. You're going to go drop 450 on an assistant coach who's got the ability to go get you in the door places. That's going to be the question there. It's not going to be, are we giving Zoe a lucrative extension? It's going to be, are if we're going to turn over the staff and if Zoe's going to take that ultimatum and do it, are you going to arm him with the resources to go make it happen? We'll see. But that to me is what the, this year is about, is evaluating the program, evaluating is it positioning itself to be successful long-term and if you have to make changes, are you going to give the guy who's you're keeping in the chair, you know, the ability to go meet that demand? That's what's going to be important early on. Well, I think to me, like you kind of bring up a, a little bit of a point. The, um, you know, the assistants individually all make sense, like in a silo. Uh, and I always, I actually said this a lot during the, uh, you know, the Commanderson debacle um that you know his his first staff if you take each individual assistant uh it 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 made sense to make that move in that individual way um you know but assembling a staff is is it it, it is about composite the, the team and yeah and like what you put together um you know and so Zoe's issue is not Cornell man it's not Chris Hollander. It's not uh, Marcus Harris. It's the three of them uh, have not helped Zoe land the kind of talent they need to. Uh, to and, and again, like, what is the goal of the program? Well, like the goal of the program, if your goal is to make the NCAA tournament every other year, then yeah, they've, they've done their jobs. But I don't think that that's Kanza Martin's goal. I don't think that that's going to be uh Desiree Reed Francois's goal and I certainly don't think that's Missouri fans goal like they don't want a mediocre basketball program we all want this team that can compete uh for a championship and I certainly don't think like we expect Missouri to compete for a championship like every year um but to have an occasional team that has a chance I I, I think is a reasonable expectation like that's where we've been in the past so if you look at um you know if it, like if you look at who is bringing in the players uh that's typically the assistant's job and and so like to kind of point it back to like the Kim Anderson stuff so Kim's first staff was Tim Fuller who is by all accounts a player getter uh, and Tim actually did a pretty good job of getting players for for Kim. I mean, he he, uh, he br- helped bring in Rob Fulford, who helped land you know Techie and uh, you know Jonathan Williams um, and you know Jakeen and Gant and Naaman Wright and uh, you know guys that were 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 talented and highly ranked. Um, you know, but if you look past that first class, like the guy who was doing a lot of the the landing of players in in the next class was Brad Luce. And and not to disparage Brad, like I've I've had enough dealings with Brad. He's like one of the best people you'll you'll ever meet. Like he's just a terrific guy. He's also a really good basketball coach. But Brad wasn't on staff to get players. Brad was on staff because Kim needed one of his guys, right? And so, 
like his job was to be Kim's guy, basketball coach, and the other guys were supposed to get players. But who was signing the players was Brad Luz. So I think we're in a point with with Conzo and 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 his staff at this point. And you and I have talked about this in the past. I think Conzo is having to do a lot of work to land the players that he's getting. And you don't want that from your staff. You want your staff to be able to bring you the players and you close the deal. Uh, that's how it works for, you know, uh, Bill Self. That's how it works for Chris Beard. That's how it works for a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the t- kinds of programs that, uh, that are getting really good players. It's how it works for Illinois. Like, do you really think that Brad Underwood, like, do you think anybody wants to go play for Brad Underwood? Nobody likes Brad Underwood. Like, I've yet to meet a single person in, <laughs> in and around basketball who's like, oh, man, I love Brad Underwood. Nobody likes Brad Underwood. But they know he's a good coach. They know he's a smart guy. And so they'll go play for him because, you know what, I've got a really good relationship with that assistant coach. And and like Conzo is the opposite. Like Conzo is is honestly like beloved by everybody, uh, and can't get the kinds of players that he wants because like that relationship isn't enough. So, and that's where you are at the end of the day. Like, <laughs> I just at some point, like you have to look at. And I always hate crapping all over assistants because you know. It's all sort of interconnected. Those guys are, are have done, I think, a good job of preparing guys. They do the scouts. They do the job of player development. I think those guys on the floor and in the film room have done an adequate job. And I think you, you hate crapping on them because, you know, they are doing parts of the job that you want assistants to do well. But the inability to land, you know, the top two to three guys in a rotation hinders all that other good work. They're having to work around the problem that they, in a, in a sense, can't solve, which is how do you get better talent in here? And that's something I think is going to be the rub here going into, you know, this season I think is going to be a little bit of a pass just because every team is undergoing massive continuity, you know, shifts, everyone's doing massive roster turnover. You know, I think firing a coach a year after he makes the NCAA tournament is, is not going to come off well in your in your search pool for folks, barring just like a complete meltdown or a scandal, um, which Zoe has not shown in his track record will be likely. But like we've said, I feel like this year is going to be one where, you know, that SWOT analysis happens on the program, and then next year, year six feels like kind of that that tick that tipping point, you know. You know, we've talked about, you know, you have to give guys time. You have to give guys, you know, some leeway, you know, all the cliches about just patience. But if you have a year where, you know, recruiting, you know, doesn't quite hit where you want it to. And, you know, that a player development with this, you know, group that's going to skew young isn't where you want it to. Are you really going to push this out to six, seven years without making some structural changes? And to which to bring it back to, I could really see that's where we're going to start. You know, it sounds like, you know, Reed Francois really admires, you know, Zoe's personality type, you know, really admires the way he carries the program and, you know, his leadership. But if she goes, and this is my question, if she goes to him and says, Conso, you know, we are, we think you're the right guy here, but we need you to make some changes. We know how loyal Zoe is. You know, we know that's, that's one of his central you know, facets of his character. Is Zoe going to, you know, do what Rick Barnes said, did and say, you know, no, these are the guys, you know, that I want around me. These are the guys that I trust, that I value. If they go, I go. Like that, that's what I'm sort of curious to see happen and what that sort of dynamic is. And that's a long way off, but that that's sort of where I think that first year of evaluation could lead is do we make some changes behind the scenes to, you know, try and, Tizo up to where he wants to go, or is he going to be loyal and want and want to ride with this group? I, I don't know. That's going to be something that plays out, but I, I think that's something I'm interested in monitoring. Yeah, I, I certainly think that 
you know, like if if Cornell Mann would have gotten like one of the head coaching jobs that he was up for the last couple of years, like I, I certainly don't think that would have been necessarily like the worst thing for Zoe. Because uh, honestly, like everyone that I've talked to that that uh, is like within college basketball uh, or around recruiting, anyone that knows Corn loves Corn. Like Corn is a a great dude, a great basketball coach, um, and has has done a really good job. Uh, you know, but at some point, like the staff is going to need some turnover. Uh, and I really don't think that that you know, like Marcus Harris is going to be that guy. So then you're looking at okay, is it is it Corn or is it is it you know Hollander? Um, and and I you know I, like I don't. I think at some point, like one of those guys is probably going to have to find another job. Um, whether that's moving on to a head coach or even like moving up the bench or taking a job that pays a little bit more. I mean, who who knows? Um, but for me, like, I also think like one of the things that, that, you know, Martin really needs to do is, is not just to expand, uh, you know, or improve their, uh, assistant coach, uh, and, and, and that salary pool, but actually like add staffing members. Like, I don't, I think that they need like dedicated, uh, like analytics guys at this point. Um, and you probably need somebody who's like not just the SID, but also can handle NIL and social media stuff with the players and, and kind of, uh, you know, be a coach off the floor for them. Um, I, I really think that you could probably expand the staff by like three or four dudes. You bring an offensive analyst, defensive analyst, your social brand person, and probably another player performance individual. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, so like when, I, when we talk about like improving the the budget, like these are the things I'm talking about. I'm like, if if they're not going to make any assistant coach changes and and start you know finding the kind of assistant coach who's who's sort of worthy of of you know paying half a million dollars a year uh, to sit on the bench and land land players, then you really need to build up. Uh, and I, I think they need to do it regardless, but you really need to build up your support staff and, and, and build the kind of uh, team in general and, and, and guys that are going to be able to help you out and, and make all those uh, jobs easier. And, and uh, you know, but like you, we talk about like all the things that the assistant coaches do as far as like scouting and all that kind of stuff. Like right now, Missouri has like a lot of GAs uh, and student managers who are doing a lot of the film work. And it's like, look, that's great, but you need to pay somebody to do that. Like, I like that's that's a role that I think, and not just one, but a, a place where you could make a significant investment, and it would it would pay dividends. Like we talk about why what Nate Oates does well. Nate Oates is a really good basketball coach, and that's obvious. But he went. He, but he had. But, but he. But they paid. But I'll say like I'll say we gotta say this on, on Nate Oates. Like, I, like, you can watch Alabama and like Alabama is good at what they do because of the philosophy. It's not because Nate is like some otherworldly basketball coach. And that's what my point is. But like you under what you wonder why Nate's philosophy takes hold because he's hired assistant coaches who are steeped in sort of the NBA style offense that they're running, who can then also leverage that on the recruiting trail. They have guys behind the scenes who do analytic work for them to like go to him and say, hey, here are inefficiencies here, tweaks we need to make maybe in scheme. I think last year you talked about they changed some ball screen coverage midway through the year because analytics guys on their staff came in and said, we're getting killed in these types of situations. And they went back and the film goes, oh, yeah, and they tweaked it. Like Nate Oates is good at organizing a staff and a philosophy and being successful. And – you know, when you're able to do that and you've got guys on your staff like who have had G League or NBA experience, what you're doing is you're selling to recruits, come play for us. Our, our philosophy will have you ready for the NBA. How you interact with our staff will have you ready to go to a professional team where there are going to be analytics guys that are come talk to you about shot selection. We're going to talk to you about where you get to your spots on the floor. You're going to be working in an environment 
that is eerily close to what you want to see at the highest level. And that's what they're paying for. That's what you're investing in. It's not, well, we just want to get the budget higher, so let's throw another million at Conzo Martin. It's can we be strategic and put people in place to help Missouri make that same pitch? So when an assistant goes out on the road, they can say to a recruit, look, we have the strength staff who is going to evaluate you in a way and prepare you in such a way so when you do go to the NBA scouting combine, you can do what Josh Primo did this year, and that's absolutely pop off. Like, be ready to go. Take your 17-year-old body a year young and have you ready to go after a year playing for us to walk into the NBA combine and move into the lottery. We're going to have guys that are going to put you in a system that's going to showcase you at the modern, in the modern style and in a modern you know system for NBA scouts to say, yeah, that guy translates to what we do. That's what we're talking about is, is structurally investing in a program that allows you to close that gap. And you don't have to spend two or $3 million to get there. You don't have to, you know, take the budget to 12 million. You know, you could up the salary pool by 500,000 bucks. You could then hire three or four more positions for a million bucks in hiring pool and other investments. You could get to a pretty comparable level. But it's it, it will that be something that happens? So we'll see. I, I would say I looked at you know how Reed Francois handled UNLV. She seems to give coaches time. You know she gave Marvin Menzies two years. She gave you know football coach Tony Sanchez two years, and then made moves. So my my thinking is that even if there's you know a mandate to help Missouri become competitive. I, I could see her saying, we're going to take a year or two, see what our folks do, and then if we have to make a change, we'll make a change. But um, we'll see how that plays out again. <laughs> if this year is just a flaming disaster, maybe I could see a move. But just her background, her familiarity with Conzo and how she handled you know, a situation walking the door at UNLV seems to hint that, you know, patience might be something she has, or at least a little bit more of it. And although, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, SEC ADs have uh, had quick trigger fingers in recent years. So who knows? Who knows what, what the approach will be? Yeah, I don't, I don't think a whole lot is going to change uh, this year for basketball. I, I certainly hope we see some uh, some changes next year. Um, again, like I... I think that Kansa Martin can be the guy, um, you know, but I think the expectations are at this point, like what Missouri has committed to basketball. So, um, you know, which has been pretty moderate. So I hope that, you know, for all our sakes, I mean, we're the ones that have to talk about it and write about it and, um, and think about it a lot. I hope for our sakes that, that there is a, uh, you know, a different philosophy from, you know, Missouri and their commitment to basketball going forward. I don't really know. So, I mean, other than like baseball, which obviously we're not going to talk about baseball. I think everybody at this point is, is, you know, pretty pleased with what, you know, football is doing. Um, are, are there any other, op- other opportunity areas? Um, I mean, we just hired a new soccer coach and they hadn't made a change in the soccer leadership since the, thing with the uh, program was founded yeah since the program was founded what, what was it 94 or 5 something like that yeah uh, volleyball i guess um but volleyball hasn't you know has been pretty competitive was- yeah volleyball is interesting because i mean while missouri's been sort of a borderline top 25 program i mean the uh the head coach um I can't remember his name, but uh, he was pretty much like hand selected by the Kreklos, uh, and and he's married to like their daughter, right? Yeah, I think so. So, so that's there's, but wrestling. Brian Smith's really good. Softball's. Not I, good you're not going to do any. Ryan Smith can coach wrestling as long as he wants to continue to coach wrestling. Yeah. So, Brian Smith, Larissa Anderson, and Eli Drinkwitz probably have the most equity at this point. Volleyball hasn't done anything, I think, at this juncture to really justify, you know, a major change. Um, soccer just made the change, so you're going to give that 
you're gonna go you're gonna get that higher some time sort of percolate and then you get really deep into the olympic sports track cross country golf tennis just you're kind of a- oh they they just hired uh like uh the the golf team if i remember yeah. correctly just hired like as an assistant the head coach in nebraska is like the head coach in waiting i think so I don't. Th- I don't think they're going to be making a change in. <laughs> or the swimming coach was pushed out for I think abuse and stuff. The, oh, the swim yeah. team had done pretty well. So Missouri's shown some uh, some competence in the non-rev sports. I think, you know, baseball's the one, the one glaring, you know, sort of issue here. And but we always knew that was going to be an issue when. Like Missouri made the transition to the SEC, it's just an entirely different animal from a culture perspective, from a budget perspective, like even from like just every, it's just entirely different than what Missouri was going to bite off. And I'm not surprised that they've really struggled there. Um, I know they've tried to do things to Taylor Stadium, but that you go to other sec venues and it's just laughable. And I, I know that, you know, they've tried to do some things there to give Steve Beezer a good, you know, some upgrades, but it's just, it, it's not closing any gap in the arms race. And what are you going to do there? And, you know, if you are working with a limited budget, you know, how much can you really sink into baseball? Like what's the, you know, where does that need to fit in the priority order? I, I don't know. Well, it's always been a, a tough place for Missouri to, you know, generate revenue off baseball. Because um, you can drive to St. Louis or Kansas not City. A, right, which is not a problem at other SEC schools. Like, like baseball is a moneymaker for those schools. That's why they invest in them. Um, you know, but it's like, like how much money do you re- realistically expect Missouri to invest in women's soccer when, you know, like it, it, it doesn't, generate revenue which you get Um, which i I sort of you obviously see the logic here which is we're going to dump a lot of money into football and hope that football can you know ramp up enough to where there'll be more revenue coming back to where we can begin to seed that into some other programs um which makes sense um i think you know we're obviously a basketball podcast i think if you were just to make a strict argument to me over which revenue you know program has the best chance to compete for a championship it would be basketball but that's you know the revenue is a fraction even if you count in ncaa tournament rev shares from deep runs it it's it, it pales in comparison to what football's going to do um and missouri doesn't have the overall athletics budget to just douse each of its rev programs in money so and that goes to baseball. At almost every SEC program, there are three rev sports. At Mizzou, there's one and a half. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they make basketball and, and football and stuff work in that sort of perspective. Well, and, and women's basketball also. Um, you know, I certainly think there's uh, – if, if you're looking at potential problem areas, that you know, like I don't think there's anyone necessarily complaining about uh, the things that – you know, Robin Pinchon's accomplished since she's she's been at Missouri, you know, but outside of the Sophie Cunningham years, it hasn't been great. Um, and even though she's had some success in, in recruiting and stuff like that, like there's there isn't a whole lot to show for, uh, you know, for for sort of what the expectations were. And so I, I, I do think that um uh, like this year and and uh, this year in particular, I think is going to be an important one because I do think that the the basketball team made some strides last year and 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 even though like their win total didn't jump, they went from really getting blown out a lot two years ago, uh, you know, to being way more competitive. Now they were losing a lot of close games, um, and so I think if you can sort of get over the hump and and you know. Uh, be closer to like a 20 win team and civil like tournament team. And I think that puts, you know, pinched him more on like the, 
you know, the, the, the safe side. And, and, you know, but if, if they have another year, like, like last year where it's like, it's close. And I think, I think there's definitely some, you know, a, a danger zone where you could potentially see a move being made. Yeah. Uh, Missouri's shown a history and a propensity for just letting contracts expire. <laughs> like we don't fire coaches. <laughs> we just, they, we just let their deals run out and you go hire someone else. Um, we'll see if that continues to a certain extent. I don't know. I, it, it's a, you know, stepping back and looking at everything here, Missouri's challenges have always sort of been the same thing that, again, like I mentioned earlier, you know, today, you know, three, you know, reference walkouts, you know, we're an AAU university. Well, um, that, that's been in jeopardy the past couple of years because budget cuts um, by the state have um, forced some issues and some buyouts and Missouri's, you know, NIH funding and outside funding sometimes is not up to AAU status levels. So that's been in doubt. Sure, it's the only Power 5 institution in the state of Missouri, but its two largest border areas, you know, are split. You know, St. Louis has Illinois grads in there. There are local SLU grads that are, you know, you know, they're a minority, but they're there. You know, you go to Kansas City, K-State, KU, Mizzou, some Nebraska down there. You go to South, you go down to Springfield, you're basic, you're closer to Fayetteville than you are to Columbia. And, you know, there's not enough population in Northwest Missouri, Northeast Missouri, and Southeast Missouri, you know, to really drive much there. So, and in the two biggest markets, they're pro sports markets. Like, kids aren't Mizzou fans until they show up for freshman orientation. And, you know, they you know they don't grow up, you know, diehard Mizzou fans. They grow up diehard Chief fans. They grow up diehard Cardinals fans. And, you know, if their parent is a Mizzou fan, they might be interested. But it's it's the same thing that's always sort of permeated Missouri's ability here. It's frac it's there's so many different factions and it's there's so many different fault lines that run through the state that like you're not going to have a situation like you do at the University of Arkansas or even at LSU or any or you know, even in Mississippi, where there are two institutions that have to split everything, but there's you know, it is dyed in the wool loyalty there. So it, I just think, you know, we can talk about all these institutional challenges here, and, you know, what the plans can be and stuff like that. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff is the same. And is one person going to be able to restructure an institution to overcome all those facets? Or are you going to have to make decisions and prioritize things? And I think that's always been my sort of view is, you know, when we made them move to the SEC, everyone's like, we, we have to step up and we have to compete. You know, this is going to require resources. My thought was, you're going to have to make choices. It's There's just a lot of certain baked in structural factors that make it hard to push to sixth or seventh. And if you're willing to make tough choices and if you're willing to, you know, be smart about what you're doing, then I think Missouri can be successful in some areas. But you know, writ large, I think it's, it's, it's really hard and we'll, we'll see what she does. I think she's, she seems like she has, you know, the intellect, the competence, the drive, you know, and sort of the dynamism to try and make it happen. But we'll see. Uh, lots of people have come in and tried to make it happen. And Missouri still sort of finds itself in a similar position as, as it always has. Well, all right. Um, yeah, we went over an hour. Sorry, everybody. Um, but there was a lot to get to with with uh, with DRF now officially on board. Uh, I'm excited. I, I think everybody is excited to see kind of what happens. It, it certainly opens a lot of, a lot of new doors. Um, we'll certainly uh, certainly be paying attention. Um, almost like we're required to. Uh, so you and I are off for the next couple of weeks. Um, I think at some point, maybe as football season ramps up in September, we may take a little bit of a hiatus um, just to sort of recharge. But uh, but season five is here, and I hope everybody enjoys the music. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you subscribe to podcasts. 
whether it's uh, through Apple or, or Stitcher, or, uh, Google Play or um, Spotify. I think we're on Spotify. But actually, uh, make sure that you download. I think that actually helps it helps us understand what people are doing or something. So yeah, download the, the, the podcast. Um, and stay tuned. Next week, uh, Nate and BK will be back. I'm sure they'll get uh, their own takes on, uh, on DRF and what she's all about and, and what she can do to maybe help the football program. Uh, so until then, um, follow Matt, follow me. Actually, don't follow me, follow Matt. Uh, follow Levi, tell Levi how great we are. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.